Take your Bibles and um, turn to the Gospel of Luke today. By the way, as I um, begin, before I begin the message, last week uh, you know that Anik and I were gone on vacation and uh, Gary Burris uh, graciously, willingly filled in. I didn't have to twist his arm too much. And uh, so I just wanted to publicly thank him for doing a great job of uh, communicating the word and, and uh, challenging us in our, in our walk with the Lord and keeping our eyes on the Lord. And uh, we're going to somewhat continue that theme today as we look at uh, this subject of communion here in Luke 22, and then we're going to partake in communion. The, the main point of communion is to remember, to think about, to keep our eyes on Jesus and what he has done for us. And so I uh, just uh, appreciate what Gary uh, shared and ministered last week in the Word. So Luke 22, we're going to read the account here in verses 14 through 20 of uh, one of the gospel accounts of Jesus spending time in that upper room with his disciples on the night in which he was betrayed. Before the betrayal took place, they gathered for Passover and to celebrate uh, that uh, tradition and that command uh, for the nation of Israel to remember what the Lord did for them. We'll talk about that more in a little bit, but let's begin by reading these verses, 14 through 20, and then we'll pray. So follow along with me. When the hour had come, he reclined at the table and the apostles with him, and he said to them, I have earnestly desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. For I say to you, I shall never again eat it until it is fulfilled in the kingdom of God. And when he had taken a cup and given thanks, he said, Take this and share it among yourselves. For I say to you, I will not drink of the fruit of the vine from now on until the kingdom of God comes. And when he had taken some bread and given thanks, he broke it and gave it to them, saying, This is my body, which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And in the same way, he took the cup also after, after they had eaten, saying, This cup which is poured out for you is the new covenant in my blood. And so as we reflect on this passage and the significance, the importance of it, let's just go to the Lord and, and ask that he would teach us and instruct us today. Let's pray. Father, we humble our hearts before you now and we pray that that our minds and our thoughts uh, would be quieted before you. I pray that you would, uh, through your spirit, just draw our attention um, to your word, open our ears to understand and, and hear what you have to say, open our minds through your spirit, that it wouldn't just be information, but that we would truly understand and know and see what you are saying to us. Not only in the truths, but how these truths then apply to our life. So Father, I just pray that you would have your way in us, that we would be changed and that we would leave uh, not forgetting what we have learned here today. And so we Thank you for this time that we can celebrate communion as a body and as we prepare to uh, 
uh, take communion here in a little bit, we ask that you would uh, be honored and that we would honor you in uh, that act of worship. And so we thank you for what you're going to do and accomplish in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So the question is, as we celebrate communion here at this church roughly once a month, sometimes on special occasions, Easter and Christmas and so forth, but why do we celebrate communion? Uh, some of you may be asking, what is communion? And so we'll talk a little bit more about that, but up here we have the elements of the, the uh, juice, which represents the wine, and the little piece of, of wafer, which represents the, the bread. But why do we gather? Why do we make it a, a thing? What's the importance, the significance of celebrating the Lord's table? Is it significant? Is it just a tradition? Should we be doing this? Why a big deal? Last Monday, we celebrated Memorial Day. And as we think about the intent of Memorial Day, it was designed to remember, to reflect on all the men and women that have served our country and died for our country and therefore they were a sacrifice for the freedoms that we have in our country. It's a way that we remember their sacrifice. The freedoms that we have are in part a result of their willingness to die for this cause of freedom. The battles that, that we've gone through in our country reflect the importance of sacrifice. And so as we think about Memorial Day and honoring those that, that gave the ultimate sacrifice, we come to communion and we're reminded that Jesus, in a similar way, but a much more deeply profound and eternally, infinitely more significant way, did the same thing for us. He sacrificed His life to purchase our freedom, our freedom from sin. And so why do we celebrate communion? What's the significance of it? We see Jesus saying in verse 19, you do this in remembrance of me. We do it then, first of all, out of obedience. It's a command. It isn't an option. It isn't something that we can take or leave. So that's one of the answers to this question. Why do we have communion? Because it's commanded. It's the same with the command to be baptized in the name of the, the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. It's a command. And so we keep those two ordinances in the church today on a regular basis. We celebrate communion and those that have put their faith in Christ... Sometimes shortly after their faith in Christ, we encourage them and we show them from Scripture why they should be water baptized. Those are following through with the commands of what God has told us to do. But why do we celebrate communion? Is it just do this in remembrance of me? Is it just to follow in obedience? Is it just a command? And I think there's times in our lives in the, in the church that we look at communion as just a traditional thing. It's just the thing that we do the first Sunday of the month or whenever we decide to do it. Isn't it something greater? Isn't it something more? Is it just for duty's sake? Remember, it's 
that we are doing this in remembrance of what Jesus is and what Jesus has done for us. To remember the truths that change and shape our hearts to be more like Christ. He died for us so that we might live for Him. And so I want us to connect to this one theme, and you'll see it in the bulletin. I I think there's some notes there that you can follow along with and jot down some thoughts of your own. But I want us to connect to this one main thought today. Remembering what Jesus has done for us will compel our hearts to reflect His glory. So as we approach communion, as we remember the sacrifice, His body hung on that cross in our place, His blood that was spilt and His death on the cross, as we remember what Jesus did for us, rising again that third day, it should compel our hearts to reflect His glory. It isn't just something that we do, it is something that should change us so that more and more, when I see you come through the doors, I stop seeing you and I start seeing Christ. And more and more, when you see me, you'll stop seeing me, and more and more, you'll see Jesus being reflected out of my life. That's our prayer. That's God's intention for, in part, for the believer today, is that we would reflect the glory of Christ, that we would let His light shine through ours. So today, I want us to allow our hearts to be stirred, to be drawn to the cross as we prepare to celebrate communion together. So as we remember, as we think about the great things that Christ has done, what comes to your mind as you celebrate communion? Well, there may be a number of things, but there's three very simple and important things that we see in this passage that remind us of of what we should remember. And so this is the first reminder. We should first remember that Jesus revealed our need. I want you to notice in verses 14 and 15, Remember the context here, the the disciples are gathering with Jesus, they made preparation for Passover, and now they have come together in that upper room to celebrate Passover together. Notice verses 14 and 15, and when the hour had come, he reclined at the table and the apostles with him, and he said to them, I have earnestly desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. Well, there's a lot of things right there within those verses of Jesus um, anticipating uh, just this event that would take place prior to His betrayal and crucifixion and death on the cross before I suffer. He said, I desire earnestly to eat this Passover. But why? Why the Passover? What's the significance? Is it significant? Well, it is. Remember back in the Old Testament, the first Passover, the Israelites were in Egypt. They had been slaves for over 400 years, and God had promised that one day they would be uh, redeemed and, and brought out and taken out of that slavery and that captivity. And so here the time has come, and Moses is, is the one that God uses to, to lead them out And right before, after all the plagues, this was the last plague, and so uh, Passover occurred on that last night when the angel of death would come over all Egypt, and the firstborn, both animal and human, would be killed by the death angel, the angel of death, if they didn't have blood over their doorposts from a lamb that was sacrificed. And so the instruction was very clear 
take a lamb that without blemish, you take it, you sacrifice it, you eat it, and you take that blood and you put it over the doorposts of your house and you go into the home. And so the point is, and the picture is, is that you are safe and secure underneath the sacrifice and protected by the blood. And those that did not do that and follow that instruction, all the Egyptians didn't obey that sacrifice, that, that command, that the angel of death came and both, again, animals and people died. The firstborn were taken. All those that did obey, all those that were under the blood, survived. And there was no death that came to their home. Why is the Passover back in Egypt and then every year consequentially and and here in the context here as the Lord celebrates Passover with the disciples before He goes to the cross. Why is the Passover significant? Why is eating this with them important? Sometimes we overlook the, the importance of this because what it signified in Jesus, the bread and then the cup, It signifies and it helps us to see that there was a need for a Savior. Jesus revealed their need, our need, your need. What is our need? Someone tell me what our need is. It's a three-letter word. We all have it and we need remedied from it. What is it? Tell, Tell me. Sin is the need. We have a need to have our sin be dealt with. And so the blood of the Old Testament covered and protected them temporarily, annually, defended them against God's judgment and wrath, but the Passover and the perfect lamb was was signifying and really prophetically saying one day there was going to be something greater. A perfect lamb to take away the sin of the world as John the Baptist talked about Jesus. And so... As we think of communion, as we think of the Lord's Last Supper with His disciples, it reveals, celebrating Passover reveals our greatest need. We're sinners in need of a Redeemer. We sing about being redeemed. Redeemed from what? Our sin separates us from a holy God. I think we often overlook the significance of communion that Jesus came to be our substitute to reveal our need. We're sinners in need of a Redeemer. Do you see your need today? I know most of you do. And I know most of you are saved and you know Christ is your Savior and you have been redeemed and you can sing that song with with hope and gratitude and joy, right? But I also know that there are probably some of you here that, that you may know your need. Maybe you recognize that you're a sinner. But you have yet to be redeemed by Jesus. You have yet to put your faith in Him alone for the forgiveness of your sin. First and foremost, I pray that the Holy Spirit would convict you of your need. Communion and Passover was a reminder that we as human beings are in desperate need. We're not, we're no way near perfect. We've missed the mark. We have sin and it needs to be dealt with. Well, there's a second reminder of as we celebrate communion, as we approach it, I want you to notice verse 19. 
And I want us to, to focus on this main thought here, that we must remember that Jesus not only revealed our need, but He paid our debt. Jesus revealed our need to be saved from our sin, but He was the one, because we couldn't save us ourselves from our sin, He came to pay our debt of sin. And so again, this, this supper reflects what Jesus did for us. So notice verse 19, And when He had taken some of the bread and given thanks, He broke it and gave it to them, saying, This is my body. So picture him holding this loaf of bread, whether it was, it wasn't leavened, but it, so it was, it was flat and, and he would just take a piece and he would tear it off. And, and in a sense, so it was breaking uh, what he was holding. And he said, this is my body, which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. I can't imagine being there in that upper room especially knowing what we know today. Could you imagine being there and seeing Jesus breaking that bread and then distributing it? This is my body. Well, we know that it's promised even in the Old Testament that none of his bones would be broken, um, and they weren't broken when he was hanging on the cross. So what does it mean that his body was broken? The bread that was broken and distributed, what does it mean? Well, if, in my opinion, and this I, I'm not confident or sure of this, but in my opinion, to me, it reflects that Jesus was willing enough and humble enough to be broken in the sense of taking our place and laying down everything of who He is for you. He took my place and your place. His body was humbled because of you and me. He went to the cross for you and me. In 1 Peter 2 and verse 24, it says, He Himself bore our sins in His own body on the cross. And so the bread, the body of Christ, helps us to understand that He took our sin upon Himself. The sin which we deserve to pay for, He humbly took upon Himself. So the bread reminds us of Him taking our sin upon Himself. The wine, secondly, refers to the blood. And without the shedding of blood, we see in the Old Testament, we see through the sacrificial systems, and now we see through Jesus, we see that without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness of sin. And so I want us to note the wine for just a moment. Not just the bread, but the wine. Notice verse 20, and in the same way He took the cup after supper, after they had eaten, saying, This cup, which is poured out for you, is the new covenant in my blood. And as you read that, as you think about it, you have to reflect that there was an old covenant with, with another blood source, and now Jesus brings the new covenant, the perfect covenant, with His perfect blood, His own blood, not the blood of animals, not the old covenant that was never uh, meant to cleanse people of sin, but just to cover their sin and to hold off God's wrath until the time when He could allow His only Son to pay in full the price for sin. And so Jesus is saying, this cup represents my blood. His coming, His sacrifice... His death on the cross where He shed His perfect sinless blood paid 
our debt of sin. I want you to go over, you can keep your finger there in Luke 22 for a moment, but go over to Hebrews because we need to understand, uh, again, this may be a reminder for, for most of you, but you know what? What I found more and more in, in my own relationship with the Lord, the more that um, I desire to walk with the Lord, the more that I need to hear the basics and the gospel repeated time and again in my heart and life. Do you ever find that? You see, this is, this is stuff that we need to hear every day because it changes us. It corrects our wrong thinking. It gets us back on the right path. It, it reminds us of all that we have in Christ and that we are nothing without Him and that we should ever be grateful for Him and what He has done for us. And so Hebrews 10 verses 11 and 12 remind us of the sacrifice that Christ made and how much better it was than the Old Testament animal sacrifices. Notice what it says. By this will, we have been sanctified, made holy, set apart through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once for all. And that's a key phrase there in this passage. Notice verse 11. Every priest stands daily, and he's talking about the Old Testament daily ritual sacrifices that happen in the temple, okay? Every priest stands daily ministering and offering time after time the same sacrifices which can never take away sins. You see, the Old Testament sacrifices never took sin away. It only covered it temporarily. That's why they did it daily and monthly and annually on the Day of Atonement and during Passover and so on. But notice what the writer of Hebrews says in verse 12, but he, having offered one sacrifice for sins, Jesus, for all time, sat down at the right hand of God. And so when Jesus went to the cross, he was the perfect Lamb of God. He paid the penalty for your sin and my sin. And, and so it wasn't a sacrifice that needed to be done again and again, but it was a sacrifice once for all time. He has perfected he brought the perfect sacrifice. You see the wine, and so later here in a moment when we take the communion and we look at that grape juice that represents wine, which represents the blood of Jesus. Again, remember, apart from anything that you've been taught, what other traditions or other churches teach, Scripture teaches that this is representative of what Christ did for us. So we don't take this cup and look at it, and all of a sudden when we drink it, it turns into the actual blood of Christ, which saves us from our sin. Some people believe that, and, and I understand the belief systems and why they come to believe those things. I understand that, but what we see God has revealed in His Word, this is the authority, not a church, not a pastor or a pope or a priest or anybody. What God says in His Word is that this cup is a symbolic reminder of the true blood of Christ that was shed on Calvary's cross to pay the penalty for sin. So we are not saved because we gulp up some juice. We're saved by faith in the blood that was spilt 2,000 years ago on Calvary's cross. That is where our hope is found. That is where our faith must lie in. Colossians 1 and verse 20, I think this verse is on the screen, but, but notice this, and through Him, talking about Jesus, to reconcile all things to Himself, having made peace through the blood of His cross. There is no doubt 
There is no argument. It isn't the blood of goats or animals. It isn't the blood that he sweat in the garden before he was betrayed. It is the blood in his death on the cross that paid the penalty that made peace between us and God. In verse 13 of Ephesians 2, it says, But now in Christ Jesus, you who formerly were far off because of our sin were separated from God, who were formerly far off have been brought near. How? Pay attention here. This is is important. Again, for those that are on the fence, pray for these people that, that need to come to faith in Christ right now. Notice the importance of this. They've been brought near to God. How? How do we come back to God who were formerly far off because of our sin? By the blood of Christ. Not by our works. Not by church attendance. Come to church. This is how you know about Christ. This is how you get encouraged and how you grow and mature and how you tell others. Church attendance has nothing to do with being saved, but it's by the blood of Christ that we are cleansed, but we are saved, brought near to Jesus. And so again, let me ask you this question as we think about Jesus being the one that paid our debt. He revealed our need because we're sinners. He took our place on the cross in His body and spilling His blood. He did this for us. He paid the penalty for our sin. Have you been brought near to Christ by faith in His sacrifice on the cross? Has your debt of sin been paid through what Jesus has done? Lastly, we remember that during communion we see a wonderful truth, not only... Jesus revealed our debt of sin, that He paid our sin on the cross, but He is coming again. Notice verse 18 in Luke 22. He's talking about not being able to participate in eating and and drinking with them again. And, And He says, For I say to you, I will not drink of the fruit of the vine from now on until the kingdom of God comes. Until the kingdom of God comes. Uh, Paul was explained uh, this in a little bit more detail in in his um, relationship and account, spending time with the Lord. And so in 1 Corinthians 11 and verse 26, Paul said it this way about what the Lord told him. As we celebrate communion, we proclaim the Lord's death until He comes. And so Jesus here talks about not being able to celebrate together and remember together until the kingdom of God comes. And Jesus promises that one day He will come, but we proclaim the Lord's death until He does come. And so the promise is very simple. During communion, remember that Jesus is coming again. We have hope. We have a future because of what Christ has done for us at the cross, because of the resurrection on that third day, Jesus made possible for you and me to have hope again because of faith in His blood, in His death, in the cross that was was for us. So as we wrap things up here this morning and as we prepare to take communion... um, If Jesus is coming again, are you filled with hope? Does the things of this life and the trials that you're going through right now and the pains and hurts that you face, whether they be health problems or marital problems or 
kid problems, or just maybe in your own life, just things that you are discouraged about, when you are reminded of all that Jesus has done for you, and that without Him you are lost to, in, to an eternity in hell, but by faith you are saved and you have a hope, not a hope so, but an assurance of heaven, does that not help steer the ship and correct the wrong thinking and bring you out of the pit of discouragement and despair for these temporary things and to encourage you to say, yeah, I know that this is hard right now, but I have a hope that is certain and so my eyes are going to look to Jesus because I know that this is temporary and Jesus is eternal and I am going to be with Him for eternity. Does that not give you hope? Does that not separate us from uh, and, and not let us be so affected by the temporary things of this life? That's why we need to continue preach the gospel to ourselves and to others so that we will be shaped by it. So when we celebrate communion, we're preaching the gospel. We do this in remembrance of Christ's death, burial, and resurrection so that it would change our hearts and compel us to reflect His glory. So that our, our eyes would be on Him, so that our lives would be about Him. In a world that constantly claims that it can satisfy you, have you ever once found that to be true? Does the world satisfy you? Maybe temporarily, but pretty soon it becomes bitter. Pretty soon you realize that it really didn't satisfy at all because the reality is that Jesus alone is the only one that can meet our needs and satisfy us. He is our only hope. Have you found hope in Jesus? Have you put your faith in Jesus alone? If you have, would you pray for someone today that hasn't? Maybe you don't even know who that person is, but God does. Maybe it's someone that is here. Maybe it's someone that isn't here right now, but God's working on their hearts and He is trying to get their attention and help them to see their need to be saved. There is only hope in Jesus. So remembering what He has done for us, revealing our need, paying our debt, promising His return, it should compel our hearts to reflect His glory. And I want to read uh, two verses in 2 Corinthians as we close today. 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verses 6 and 7. Again, as I am challenged with this thought of what Christ has done for us. I want it to be applied to our life. I want the Lord and who He is and what He has done be reflected in my life, in the life of the church, in the body of Christ. I want Jesus to be seen in our lives. And, and that's what Paul writes here in 2 Corinthians 4, verse 6. For God who said, Light shall shine out of darkness is the one who has shown in our hearts to give us the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Christ. But we have this treasure, the glory of the light of Christ, in earthen vessels. He's describing our body. We have the light of Christ in our bodies through faith, so that the surpassing greatness of the power will be of God and not of ourselves. 
And he goes on and he talks about all the difficulties that he faces, and yet it doesn't compare to the light of the glory of Christ being reflected in his life. Is Jesus' light shining through your life because you are changed by the message of the gospel, of what communion reminds us of? Is Jesus seen? You see, there's a lot to think about when we remember communion, when we remember what He did for us. And I pray that as we take communion now, that our hearts would be thinking about these truths, that we would be shaped and that we would be changed, that we'd do business with God, that we would confess sin, that we would make things right if, if there's things that are still between us and God and that we wouldn't allow that to be between us and Him any longer. And so I'm going to have the men come at this time. And as the men come, the music is going to be played. And I want to just take a couple moments just for us to reflect, to be quiet before the Lord in all He has done, in the beauty of the gospel, the beauty of Christ's sacrifice, of Him taking our place on the cross. So the music can be played now. And I just want us to just sit in quietness and listen to the music and think about the beauty of what Christ has done for us, thanking Him for the cross preparing our hearts. Do business with the Lord if you need to do business with the Lord. Look at the words on the screen. Be reminded of the sacrifice of Christ and so that when we take communion today, it will be in a way that honors Jesus and it will continue to change our lives for His glory. Father, as we sit here and contemplate, we pray that you would be working in our hearts, that we would never forget the infinite power and impact of your son's sacrifice on the cross, and that as we take in communion, that we would do this out of worship of him, out of remembrance of what he has done, of the beauty and the mercy of, of his sacrifice in our place. And that we would allow what your son has done for us to not only be responded by faith, but that we would live out in our life, Jesus glorified. That people would see Jesus in our life instead of ourselves. Lord, help us to live lives that please you and honor you. But God, even when we don't, I just pray that our, our hearts would be turn back to you and that we would be reminded that you are a God of mercy and grace, that you are a God that demonstrated his love and that while we were yet sinners, your son died for us. So thank you that you died for us, not because of what we were going to do or that we were going to make it right or pay you back, but you died for us in our sin, in our ugliness, in our hopelessness. You took our place. You paid the debt. And so help us to worship 
your son Jesus because of that today. And that we would, with hope, look forward to that day when he returns for his bride, the church.